American United strives to serve those who serve. Ask them about their VA home loans, which offer up to 100% financing, often with no down payment required. Make an appointment to research your options. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. We're back with part two with Jordan Abner, founder of Corporate Movement. It's much better to try and fail than to like be dreaming about what might have been. It's like, let's just go after it and let's let's try. Even if we fall, like we're not wondering anymore. We we know that we went after it. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Jordan, where we left off yesterday, we were talking about this kind of approach that you have where um, you don't necessarily go out building relationships, thinking about what it can do for you. You just go out and try to be generous and uh, maybe just kind of have some faith that that's the better way to do things. Where does that come from for you? Um, yeah. So um, in thinking about that, I think there's obviously good examples in my life. Um, and then as I'm thinking about that, I'm also thinking about one really poor example which was the way I approached things at one point. Um, yeah, I don't, I think there was a point in my life where I kind of did things for an end purpose rather than just because I felt it could help somebody else. And, uh, I don't think it was for very long. Hopefully like when I realized it, I hadn't been doing it for like a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was many years ago. And when I kind of changed kind of my thought process, it was interesting. It just, kind of reaffirmed itself over and over again. And like, one, I'm much happier. I'm helping other people to be happier. And it's just um, something you had mentioned in the last episode. It's more fun. It's just, it's better. Yeah, what a higher quality of life. I mean, it is such a temptation when we need revenue to make payroll or pay the mortgage. It is easy to see everyone as a potential mark of, oh, I wonder if these, you know, these guys could probably use my product or my service, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it is interesting. Like, um, just one really quick thing. What we did about a year and a half, two years ago is we took commissions completely away from our company, which in promotional product space, that's the typical, um, the typical model is your salespeople are on that. And because of exactly what you just said, that's why we did away with everybody's on salary. And so we don't have our salespeople like that anymore. They're not like looking for just a short term, something because they don't have to worry so much about 
their paycheck. They're more worried about like building the company and building it the right way. So exactly for the reasons that you just said. That's great. Well, um, you know, you've got this business now where you're, you're printing all these shirts and products and stuff for different businesses, whether it's, you know, white labeling them with the universities or, or doing stuff direct. Um, but let's talk about the charitable side of the world. Um, you've given us some good advice for things at child rescue in the past, and we're going to ask you about that in a minute, but, um, tell us about, uh, tell us about your charity. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to call it mine. Um, it is what I'm working on, um, really heavily. It's called voices for virtue. And, uh, it's interesting just seeing in the media and kind of around the world the skew of virtuous behavior. So um, one thing we're working heavily on is pornography addiction. So we're trying to um, be a preventative measure towards that. And so that's reaching out to youth primarily through social to teach them correct principles about it so that they actually have a source of media that is correct things. But then also showing they have a lot of peers that feel the same way and that they're like, yeah, this is actually how I want to live my life as well. You know, it's tough on that issue where, I mean, technically it should be legal for these people to be showing it to kids, right? Um, But that's, it's obviously happening at such a degree that we're actually seeing addiction issues. And I mean, for us at Child Rescue, uh, we certainly, you know, get comments from FBI agents who say things like, they work zero child trafficking cases where there isn't huge amounts of pornography consumed previous to somebody trying to act out one of their fantasies. Right. Um, but for me, I, I really see mm-hmm. right. the benefits uh, on this issue where so many people they're approaching it instead of just a morality issue, they're really bringing up the public health crisis of like biologically what's happening when, mm-hmm. when someone's brain gets, you know, exposed to this so much and, and the negative implications it has from a, you know, a public health perspective. Yeah. There's an organization fight the new drug and they almost primarily focus on that. It's kind of the science of it and kind of exactly your, what you're talking about, um, the effects of society. And so we'll, uh, and so based on your experience there, you know, we were talking about child rescue and you said, if you had any advice for us, it'd be based on some of your wins at Voices for Virtue, what what advice would you have for us at Child Rescue, trying to get more people involved in preventing child trafficking? Yeah, so I don't know that this is necessarily correct. This has been something that we feel has worked very well for us. Is We knew what we wanted to say. We knew kind of the way we wanted to go about it. What we didn't have was a machine to be able to push that out to as many people as we wanted to. And for us, the community is such an important part of that. Having youth that feel like other peers kind of feel that same way. And so we went on a mission to build a community of a million youth um, on social media. And so that's what we did first was how can we build the mechanism to actually get the voices out there, kind of the megaphone, the platform to kind of share our message on. And so for us, that was incredibly helpful. We did obviously all the other things we were wanting to do, but the uh, large focus of large amount of our efforts were on building that machine and that community. And once we hit a million, um, kind of what I've been kind of telling everybody that's working with us is we're no longer building a community of a million. We're actually building individuals. And now all that effort that was, that we were using, it's actually being shrunk down instead of like 60, 70%, we're going to be 30% or so pushing on building the community. 
and a lar lot larger focus on how we can change individual lives. So now we're starting to get to what we actually really want to do. And that's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's the right way necessarily, but for us, it was very important to have the community so that we could actually do what we wanted to do. So I guess that's a roundabout way to say, figure out how you can build your community and make sure that that is something that you can do over and over again. Sure. And, you know, when it, we like to ask guests if they have book recommendations for entrepreneurs and innovators out there, and we'll get to that in one second. But there are a lot of folks out there who would like to get their Facebook page over a million likes like you guys have. Any advice that you'd have for other people out there who want to get that type of, you know, get get known on that level? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we've done. Um, so one thing is, it's kind of funny, but Facebook is a business. They actually want to generate money. And so if you actually use their ads, there's a lot of things that you can do to really narrow it down. And you, you can make it so that you're not spending a lot of money and you're getting a lot of reach. Uh, to figure out how to do that, because I've worked with social in the past, but I wanted to really make sure we had some experts. And so we set up a monthly meeting where we actually brought in experts. This is a little bit different because we're a nonprofit. We're able to kind of do this, but I think you could still find advisors or somebody that could come and help you. So what we did is we brought these experts in and we said, look, this is what we're looking to do over the next month. And again, we do that every month. So 12 times a year. So as we're going and doing things, we're able to present to them. This is what happened. This is our new plans. And they can say, you know, if I were to do that, I'd do it this way. And then we're able to execute on a lot higher level than we would have been able to otherwise. Um, it's so easy for us to sit around the boardroom table and drink our own Kool-Aid um, sometimes it takes a bit of humility to have people come in and, and be open to them saying, ah, I don't know if that's as good an idea as you think it is. It sounds like it's pretty valuable for you guys. Oh, incredibly valuable. It's kind of funny. The more you learn, it's almost like the more you learn, you don't know anything. It's like, okay, wow, I need to know this or that. Yeah, super important. Um, well, listen, what, what books do you feel like entrepreneurs should be reading or innovators? Yeah, so it's interesting. I went on a kick for a while where I was, um, I usually listen to them on Audible or something like that. And uh, I went on a kick for a while where it was a ton of different business books. And I would listen to different podcasts, yours or others, and just be like, all right, so that sounds like one um, that I definitely want to read. And lots of business books were super valuable. Say, for example, um, The Four Hour Work Week. I felt was really important for me just to kind of look at it and be like, all right, what are those few things? What's the 20% that I could do that's going to yield the 80% um, of the effort uh, of the fruits of it, you know? And so looking at everything we're doing and saying, is this actually just giving me incremental success or is this actually like a force multiplier, something that's really making a huge difference? Um, so that's one. But then I think on the other side, um, there's a lot of religious books and things that I feel are close to me that help give me perspective. And I kind of mentioned this in the last show to really think about life as a whole. And it helps you get through the things that are a little bit more difficult because it's not just all rainbows and sunshine, you know? It's... Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever read <laughs> that Clayton Christensen book? How will you measure your life? Yes. That was a great one. Oh, I feel like that was such a good book for that. So good. Yeah, I actually listen. I, it's funny when I think about those things. I was actually on a plane when I was listening to that. Um, and so it was interesting. I was um, 
actually watching just kind of the U.S. go below me because I was by a window seat, but it just kind of helped me think about, man, what exactly am I doing? Yeah, super good read. Yeah, no kidding. Well, listen, um, we'd like to ask another question we like to ask people is who set a good example for them early in their career, early in life of how to treat others um, and maybe any ways you try to emulate them. Is there, is there anybody that stands out to you as setting a, you know, an above average example of how to treat others? Yeah. And this is going to sound like everybody says this, but my dad, like seriously, my dad was uh, an officer in the military. And um, so because of him, we moved around quite a bit when I was young and uh, in the military, once you get to higher ranks, you almost have to move to increase uh, your rank in your career. And uh, I still remember, I was still fairly young. Um, so my dad still had probably 15 years left in his career. And every time he would get a job offer, he was a lieutenant colonel. And uh, every time he would get a job offer, he would sit our whole family down, us kids included, and say, this is the job offer, and this is what it means. And then he would ask us each individually if we wanted to move or not. And my siblings started to not want to move. And so we stayed in the same house for a good portion of the end of his career. And uh, I don't know. So he, it was more important to him. He obviously had goals and he was working tirelessly for them, but he still kind of had that perspective where it needed to be. And so we actually, he didn't quite get to where he wanted to in his career, but he, I don't think he has any regrets whatsoever about his career because he didn't just kind of slack off on it. He still attacked it as hard as he could. But isn't it interesting, you know, if you were to isolate the career alone, then it sounds like, you know, missing the potential or this kind of stuff. But when you add up life as a whole, it sounds like the relationship, the relationship he has with his children and certainly the respect that you have for him. I'm guessing mm-hmm. if you added that all up together, he's going to, he's going to come out saying it was a net benefit. Yeah. And it's interesting because you never even hear like resolution or hesitation in his voice when he talks about it. He, he's very proud of the career that he had even so. So that's even part of kind of that example where it's like, man, like don't really worry about what might've been. Cause if you're going after it, um, that's something that we kind of talk about a lot in our businesses. It's much better to try and fail than to like be dreaming about what might've been. It's like, let's just go after it and let's, let's try. Even if we fall, like we're not wondering anymore. We, we know that we went after it. Yeah. Well, listen, um, your career doesn't sound like it was handed to you on a silver platter. You, you, you had to work for it. Um, what advice would you have for people? You know, we, we get a lot of folks that are at different stages. Some of them have, you know, we know that some of our listeners have very successful businesses. Other ones are still considering what to start for their first one. Um, I mean, you went from high school kid printing some T-shirts with for friends on the ski and snowboard side, sure. to to now working with very large companies, entire institutions like universities and stuff like this. Um, and you obviously worked hard. I mean, we didn't even get to the story about when you were working for somebody and realized you wanted to go on your own, but you wanted a year's worth of income, so you did the math and and really kicked it into high gear and sold enough that next year to be able to buy yourself the opportunity to make a different choice. You obviously worked hard, but you know I, I worked on the oil and gas pipeline with guys who worked really hard and didn't get ahead in life because of what they were working on. Um, mm-hmm. So working hard at the right thing, I think, is something a lot of people expect. But um, 
what what other kind of advice would you say as you look at what's gotten you to where you're at? Um, what advice would you have for other people who are maybe on a similar path in life? Uh, yeah, um, even just when you were just saying that, um, yes, obviously we do need to work hard and we need to do those things. Um, hopefully if people are waiting to kind of make that leap or that jump, hopefully they don't think, all right, if I can just do this, then this can happen. Um, if I hadn't been able to save up a year's worth of income, I had enough other things. It wasn't all writing on that one decision. If that makes sense, I kind of set myself up to like, this is going to happen no matter what. I'm either going to like, I'm going to be able to make this decision because some things are kind of out of your hands. Some people may not be able to save up a year's worth of income in a year and do those kinds of things. But if you put enough variables in place where you're like, if I have 80% of these, then I have enough to be able to make a decision. So I guess that's one piece of advice is you can't really say if I do this, then that's going to happen and it's going to be easy. It's still, still leaps of faith, still trying to figure out what's going on and jumping into the unknown. Um, and that kind of goes with one other thing I was thinking that I heard somebody else say um, that every second you wait to do something in your life, it becomes more risky. So think about it. You become either older, you have more kids, you have more responsibilities, whatever it is. So if you wait longer, it actually becomes more risky. And I think a lot of people think, man, if I can just get here, then I'll actually be able to like have little enough risk that I can do it. Um, even if you save up the income, you're like, man, what if I stayed another year? Then I could double that. Right? There's just always something that makes it more and more risky. So just figure out what you want to do. Yeah, and go for it. So, you know, it's interesting. That's my advice. I'm I'm listening to this Adam Grant book right now called Originals. Um, he's the guy that wrote Give and Take, and he talks about how many of the times the the media romanticizes someone who bets it all on red, you know, versus in reality, uh -huh. how many of the people who have changed the world, um, they've done so uh, maybe with a little more realism involved. He talks about the guys at Warby Parker that were his students at Wharton and how they had day jobs and they had uh -huh. backup opportunities and they worked on it long enough till they knew they had it right instead of it being forced by an artificial deadline to be right. Um, like I'm thinking, yep. you know, while you were getting into this business, you, you before this, the interview, you and I were talking about the work you'd done at AdPro and, and trying to build it up there. But you also had a job for America's first credit union on the side so you could have insurance. And, you know, talk about the ideas of like, hey, it's not all the romantic. We went for gold and we got it on our first try. Uh, yeah. So I'll share something pretty personal to me. Um, I don't think a whole lot of people really know this, but uh, so two years ago, I sold the equity in Jamberry and in Blue House Skis, and my wife was all excited, like, hey, we, we finally get kind of a payday, and uh, so I sat her down and talked to her, and I said, hey, look, I kind of saw the opportunity. Things were starting to fall in place with corporate movement, and I said, I want to invest all of this money into the new business, but in able to do this, we need to have enough of a runway I think we should rent our house out and move in with my parents. And uh, we're going to rely on your income. And we're going to put everything back into the business. And, uh, and she, obviously, we had many discussions about this. This wasn't just like a, hey, guess what? We should do this. And it happened.
But uh, so we did that uh, for a while. We moved in with my parents and built this up to where um, we could continue to run it. So now we are in our own house, but for a time, and that's really kind of humiliating, I guess not humiliating, humbling to do um, is to go to your wife and say, I want us to move in with my parents. Uh, but those are all the things that you never hear about. Um, but isn't that the difference between the short-term thinking and the long-term thinking, right? Where you're like, hey, we've got the opportunity to take a payday or we've got a chance to do something different? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, and obviously that's um, what I talked with my wife about. But uh, but it hasn't been all just, okay, sweet, and then all of a sudden hockey stick, right? It, it's still... Always seems to take longer and cost more than you think it's going to. Isn't it interesting though if we can come into it with that mindset though, how much easier it is to take, you know, like <laughs> the yep. disappointment when you're like expecting, hey, here's our deadline, but you kind of have the mentality, but everything takes twice as long as it's supposed to. It's not quite as disappointing when it takes twice as long as it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's got to be something that you set up realistic expectations for your family, also everybody that's working there. Whenever we have an interview for somebody joining, we kind of outline, we almost tell like a harder story than than we hopefully are going to experience so that they know what they're getting into when they come and join the startup. Yeah. Well, listen, um, besides people coming in and checking you out at uh, Corporate Movement, um, anything else uh, you want to leave as a parting with us? Um, it gets me excited to see other people succeed. And so, I don't know, anybody who's listening, if there's something that you're deciding you want to do, just go ahead and go do it. Um, yeah, make it happen. That's kind of what made the place we live so incredible. And so, I don't know, I want more and more people to do that. It's funny, the value of motion, right? It's, it's easy to sit and wait for all green lights before we turn the car on, right? When the real progress <laughs> yeah. gets made by just, get, you know, as soon as you got a green light, just go there to the next red light until it turns green, huh? Yep, for sure. If you need to, just jumpstart that sucker. Just go for it. Well, motion is so attractive. You know, everybody's heard their brother-in-law sit around and talk about what he's going to do someday. And uh, it's wild. I mean, we started this show a year later than, than when we meant to, right? We were uh -huh. talking about it yep. the previous spring. And it's... Uh, it, it's been surprising how much has happened by the nature of us just being out there uh, with the very same people that I'd been talking mm -hmm. to about it the year previous. Now this year, because we're actually doing it, they're making introductions. Um, they're, they're doing things that have been extremely helpful. And it's not like they're better friends than they were a year ago, but I think the nature of us actually putting some action behind it, even if we we're making mistakes because we were doing something they were willing to mm -hmm. go out on a limb for us and, and get us some great opportunities. So fully endorse yeah, your thought there. Sure. Hey, listen, thanks for making time. Um, and, uh, and thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah, it's always great chatting with you. Okay. Bye. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much.
Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.